watch the video. Watch the video. And subscribe. And subscribe. <laughs> All right, guys, let's continue our teaching in Genesis. We are now in chapter six, but for a very quick review, and I mean a quick one on this one, as we left chapter five, basically what we dealt with was the issue of the seed line. That is, as we dealt with the promise of Genesis 3 and 15, the seed of the woman, we continued to trace that particular genealogy through the line of Adam. And we went through a number of the different descendants of Adam and ended with the name Noah. And that was the son of Lamech. And the idea was Lamech had assumed he was wrong, but he assumed that this particular son that he had would be the son of promise. However, as we continue on, indeed Lamech had the right thought concerning Noah. He was a special son. However, he was not the seed of the woman, the promised one to which God would give to bring redemption to the earth. All right. So with all of that, let us now go to chapter six as we the, the, the scriptures begin to focus on events surrounding Noah and the things that were happening during his particular lifetime. Six and one. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose. Now this particular issue has been a very hotly debated issue, but let's just go on and dissect it and then we'll be able to see exactly who the reference is because the point here is in verse number two, the point of, uh, uh, of where there's a lot of debate on just who are the sons of God. Okay. But before we get into trying to identify who are these sons of God, let's just simply go to verse number one. As we move through the text, we should be able to see definitively who these sons of God's were and what was the particular situation that was going on that prompted all of the following events. But we don't want to get in all of that too quickly. Let's just go to verse number one. Notice what it said. So simply in the passage of time, it came about notice when men began to multiply on the face of the land and it says Ha-Adam, men, that is the human race. So it's using the, the term Adam generically to refer to the human race. Men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. And now we begin to see of the human race, notice how the scriptures began to specify daughters born to men. That is, these are women, female women of the human race born to men. Verse number two, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. So now we have a particular contrast. Now let's break it down. The sons of God, it uses the term B'nai Ha Elohim, the sons of God. Now the problem that we have with this particular construction, and it's not so much as a problem, it's most, mostly a debate. Who are these sons of God? 
Some say that the sons of God, as you refer earlier, these are the descendants of Seth. The descendants of Seth contrasting the descendants of Cain. That is, the descendants of Seth would symbolize the godly line. Remember when we dealt with uh, um, that son Seth and then Seth had this particular son by the name of Enosh. And then the scripture said when this particular son was born, men began to call on the name of the Lord. So some consider the descendants of Seth on downward. These are of the descendants who became, who called on the name of the Lord. And so they say that the sons of God here are those descendants, those godly ones who called on the name of the Lord. Okay. However, and I'm not going to get into a particular study. This is not going to be an exhaustive study in any way, shape, form or fashion, but we're just simply going to point out and show you demonstrate through scripture that this is not the correct way of thinking that the sons of God is a reference to the descendants of Seth in opposition to the descendants of Cain. Okay. So the, the idea is the descendants of Cain would not be considered as godly people, godly men. And so therefore what they're saying is, is only a reference to the descendants of Seth. That is sons of God are men. My point here is this is incorrect because now let's go, let's look at it again. The actual Hebrew terminology that's used here is B'nai Ha Elohim, sons of God. Whenever this particular construction is used and this construction is used in Job 1 and 6 and, 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 and we'll talk about it. Job 1 and 6, Job 2 and 1. We see it again in Job 38 and 7. Now, the point that I'm trying to make is this. This particular construction, B'nai Ha Elohim, sons of God, the critics, those who want to say that it is these are men, sons of Seth, descendants of Seth, they have no problem when they look at it in Job in this particular passage. They always say that it is a reference to angels. However, they want to make an exception and say that when we look at it in Genesis chapter six, the reference is no longer. They say that's an exception. So now they want to say it is these are men, but in every other reference to which it is used, they say these are angels. There is no good reason why the reference should be made exclusive now. In other words, an exception, I'm sorry. So why say that it is about men, but in every other time that term time that is used, you want to say that it is about angels. That's not a good reason for that. But anyway, let's just take a quick look at it. We, got, we find in Job 1 and 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, uh, the, that is the B'nai Ha Elohim, sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord and what? Satan also came among them. So here the reference is clearly we have a angels. We have the angels who are present before the Lord 
and Satan also comes in alongside of them. This same thing is repeated once again in Job two and one, when it says again, there was a day when the sons of God, B'nai Ha Elohim came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. So noted almost an egg. Uh, the exact same thing again. And still the reference is sons of God being to angels. And then we find that other reference in 38 and seven in Job, when he says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Notice again, sons of God, the reference is to angels. But now let me make a quick aside right here, guys. I love Job 38 and seven when it speaks of the angels, but it also speaks of creation. The first part of verse number seven, when the morning stars sang together, that refers to the creation of the universe. The morning stars sang together. So the reference is all the way back at the initial, the initial creation of the universe before Genesis one and two. Two, when the, uh, the world became, the, the universe became uh, formless and void, tohu and bohu. So before there was the corruption of the universe, that is the initial rebellion. But the point is, before the creation of the universe, what? Or should I say, at the creation of the universe? All the sons of God shouted for joy. So what this verse tells us is not only that there was praise of the angels at the creation, but it says that the angels were here before the universe was even created. So it appears the first created thing of God was not the universe, but the angels themselves. This tells us that the angels are very old indeed. They are ancient creatures. All right. But anyway, the point that we're trying to make is B'nai Ha Elohim, sons of God, always has a reference to angels. All right. Hey guys, I need your help to build the channel. So don't forget, like and subscribe. Now let's go back to Genesis. So it says the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Now notice the construction is clear. It is making a clear distinction between sons of God and notice the earlier reference to verse number one. It came a time when men, human men and human men bore daughters human daughters. So now we see that contrast is very clear in verse number two, sons of God. One contrasting type of creature saw another wholly different type daughters, the daughters that were born to men. So verse number two tells us that simply the angels saw daughters of men human females. Now, what we have to understand is these particular angels are not what we simply call the good angels. These are not the good angels. These are the angels that rebelled alongside of Satan 
in the initial rebellion that that happened a long time ago. So this is a long time ago. So these are these angels. These all these angels. Also, you'll see such references to them are called demons in the New Testament. Okay, so these are the bad angels. But nevertheless, even though they rebelled against God, they still remain angels. They are who they are. All right. All right. So this, the bad angels, sons of God, saw the daughters of men, female women, that they were beautiful. That Hebrew word here is tov, good. But the idea is that they were beautiful. And what did they do? They took wives for themselves whomever they choose. So we see an intermarriage, an intermarriage between angels, bad angels, and human women. Now, what you have to understand is this principally. Remember what we've been dealing with all throughout, ever since the fall of man. God spoke to the serpent. Remember the serpent who was possessed by Satan himself, which means Satan has a knowledge of what was taking place in the fall. He was the one that started it all right. That Genesis three and 15 that was spoken actually to the serpent, meaning serpent inhabited, possessed by Satan. He was well aware of the promise. What was the promise? It talked about the seed that should come from the woman. What would that seed do? It would undo, redeem mankind. It would do away with the curse upon the earth and that seed would bring about the destruction of the serpent, Satan himself. He would crush Satan's head. So all throughout, we see Satan making attempts to thwart the seed. This is one of the first attempts mentioned in the scripture. Remember, the seed should come from a woman. What do we see? The angels of God, bad guys, those who rebelled along with Satan, being used by him to marry what? Women. Where does the seed come from? The seed comes from a woman. So there is a corruption that would, there becomes a corruption of humanity because we have an intermixing of the seed. So here's the Satan's first attempt to stop, to try to stop the seed of the woman by corrupting the seed line that should come from women. All right. Now, this particular event, and we haven't read all of the passage. We haven't read all of the passage yet, but to give us an idea that this is clear, these are angels that are marrying women. It also, this is also spoken of in the New Testament in Peter. When we look at first Peter and Peter speaks of it twice. Now, the first time Peter speaks of this is in first Peter chapter three. And let's just start at verse number 18 to give us some idea of context. And what he's simply talking about is the just suffering unjustly. All right. An example, how Jesus was the ultimate example of the just suffering in an unjust way. And Jesus ultimate ex uh, uh, example manifestation of suffering unjustly was his own crucifixion and the events in that crucifixion. But let's just go to first Peter three and 18 and you'll see what I'm talking about. For Christ also died for sins once for all the just 
for the unjust. See that? Suffering unjustly. So that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh. Notice the idea about his crucifixion being put to death. But made alive in the spirit. Verse 19. Now this is our key verse. In which he in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. That is the reference to the angels, because we're going to see even more so identify who are these spirits. We're going to, we're going to tell you later on with the further text that we talk about. These spirits are references to angels and that particular prison that they're in. We're going to also talk about that, but just give me a, give me a time to get to it. So Jesus went after he had that. So this is speaking of when Jesus died. The spirit of the Lord went to a specific place called a prison. Actually, that would be Tartarus. We'll talk about it. And this is where these angels spirits were being kept and he made a proclamation. This is not saying that when Jesus died, he went and preached to people who were dead, giving them another chance to repent. That's not what it's talking about. That's what he's not preaching the gospel to them. He just made a proclamation. He, we don't know exactly what he said to them, but it was no doubt an announcement of his death and now soon to be resurrection after three days. In other words, that the promise that God had said that Jesus would crush it, how, but through his death on the cross, he, he gets the victory over Satan. So this is the proclamation that he made to those angels who were now being kept. What particular spirits? Verse number 20, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah doing the construction of the ark in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through the water. So it identifies the time period. What's the time period concerning those spirits who are in prison? What spirits are in prison? What? N not so much as exactly what, but we know they're angels. The reference here, we have to talk about that, but it gives that time period. What it was during the time when Noah was building the ark and these particular spirits were what? disobedient. Now, Peter at this particular moment in first Peter does not define what that disobedience was, but he just simply says they were disobedient spirits who were in the time of Noah when he was building that ark. And we see that now Jesus is making a proclamation to those imprisoned spirits, the ones who were disobedient right now to further identify, we move to second Peter. And that's when he talks about the whole issue of judgment of those particular spirits who were kept in prison. And now we go, let's just simply go to second Peter chapter two, and we're going to go directly to verse number four. For if God did not spare angels, notice that now that's our direct identification that refers to those spirits that Peter was talking about in his first epistle. Angels, when they sinned, notice when those angels sinned. So the idea, so the thought would come, what reference is he talking about? The angels that they sinned in the initial rebellion of Satan, 
No, he's not referring to that. He's referring to the angels that sin in the Genesis chapter six, where we are now to that earlier reference to in the days of Noah, the angels, when they sin, what did, what was the judgment of God to those angels, but cast them into hell. Now he used here a general term for a, a specific Greek word that is used. And here it is meaning casting them down. It's a participle, but we're going to get into all of the grammar, but Tartarus, Tartarus. Okay. And Tartarus is simply a compartment of hell, a compartment of hell. That is the place of the underworld. He cast them into hell. This is not hell fire. Tartarus, a place for angels and committed them to pits of darkness. That's describing Tartarus is a place of darkness reserved for judgment. So the whole point is these particular angels sinned. They were cast into not burning hell, but a specific place only for angels, Tartarus. And they were put there in this place of absolute darkness reserved for judgment. That means kept there until the final day of judgment. And notice the connection. Here is the connection about these angels that sin. Verse number five and did not spare the ancient world, did not spare what the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness. And I just want to stop there. Notice the connection with the angels who sinned, who were cast into Tartarus, reserved into a place of darkness and kept there. There is a connection with the time once again of Noah. So it's about the angels who sinned in the days of Noah. So now once again, let us even look further to the specifics. So we got first Peter, then we got second Peter. Now let's move on even to Jude as we look at the specific sins of these angels who sinned in the time of Noah. So notice in Jude, we begin at verse number six. And angels who did not keep their own domain. Now there's a reference again to angels, but notice what he says. They didn't keep their own domain. Now what he means by domain simply is this, the separation, the separation, the place to which angels should remain and the place to which mankind, we haven't gotten there yet, but the idea is the separate between mankind, how angels should not mix with mankind. We'll see that as we move through this text, angels who didn't keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds. Now that's once again, referencing to Tartarus that we talked about. Remember the place of judgment that Peter told us about. It is a place of darkness and notice what it says, kept in eternal bonds. So now we see when those angels who did sin, not only were they condemned to remain in Tartarus until the day of final judgment, when they will be cast into the lake of fire on that day, but they were kept in Tartarus and bound in chains. Okay. Kept in eternal bonds under darkness, as he said again in second Peter, for the judgment of the great day. So once again, he just simply what? He's just reemphasizing, reiterizing, restating what Peter said. These angels are kept until the judgment day. Notice what he said. Now here's how key. 
about, it tells us about the sin. Now, let we talk about the specific sin of those angels. What angels? The angels that sin in the time of Noah, the angels who are now being kept in Tartarus, bound in chains until the great judgment day to be cast into the lake of fire. What was their sin? Jude 7. Just as, that's our connection concerning those angels. Just as, what is the connection? Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. So notice, just, and we know Sodom and Gomorrah, what was the issue concerning them? Homosexuality. The issue is, and, and let me just, let me continue with it and you'll see it. Since they, notice again, notice that parallel comparison. Since they in the same way. Notice, so we got just as and what? In the same way. What? As they, as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. So the issue becomes what? Sexual, sexual immorality and strange flesh. Notice what he's doing. He's comparing the sin of these angels to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. What is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Notice that gross immorality, sexual immorality and strange flesh. S strange flesh, uh, sexual immorality with the Sodom and Gomorrah issue was simply what? Men going after men. That's a strange thing because what? Naturally, men are supposed to have sexual relations with women. That's the natural way. That's the supposed way that it's supposed to be done. Okay. But for angels, this is not the case because, and I guess I'll stop talking about it a little bit here. Angels were the creature creatures, direct creatures of God. There were no counterparts created for angels in scripture. All occasions that we have for an appearance of an angel are men. In other words, there are no female angels. That is when God created the angels in the, in, in the Bible talks, there are innumerable numbers of angels. How many? We don't know, but there are, who knows? Innumerable, innumerable. So therefore, when God created them, he didn't do it the same way he did for man. When God created mankind, notice he only made just one. That is, that is, he made only Adam. He made only Adam. So the point that I'm making is when God made the angels, he made them innumerable because there was no intention of God for angels to procreate. It was not intended for them. Their numbers were supposed to be set and no sex for them. No, that's it. All right. But for man, God made Adam. He just only made one, but God intended for man to multiply by virtue of sex. He intended for mankind to have a sexual union with another. And for that reason, God made a counterpart to Adam. What did he make? It's not good for him to be alone. He made a woman. And, but notice only two and from the two came many. So notice what we got when God made man, it was basically the one he gave him a mate so that 
he may engage in sexual union with that woman, man to woman, and increase the species. But when he made the angels, he made them many in the first place because sex was not intended. And that's why Jesus also spoke about this in heaven that we don't uh, engage in marriage in heaven, but that is in the resurrection, in the resurrection. And I don't want to get into all of that, but the point is, but we, he's, Jesus said we will be like the angels. And that is, he's referring to the good angels who do not engage in sexual relations. But let's go back to Jude. So the point that we're making, that Jude is making in verse number seven is this. We see these angels who are bound in Tartarus in chains in darkness awaiting judgment. Their specific sin was they engaged in sexual immorality. Notice what he says. They left their bow and they engaged with strange flesh. And here's the idea. As it pertains, not so much to Sodom and Gomorrah now, because remember, that's what Jude is making his comparison to. But as it, as it pertains to the angels here, that sin, the strange flesh was the flesh of men. Now, when we go all the way back, to Genesis chapter six, what is the strange flesh for angels? Notice the daughters of men. So that's a different whole kind. Angels being of a glorious being, a glorious flesh are now marrying and engaging in sexual activity with those of a lower being, that is mankind. Okay, so that was a grievous sin that they did in the eyes of God. And once again, the point that I'm trying to stress here is this is nothing more than a satanic attempt to try to thwart, to stop the seed of the woman by virtue of corrupting the human race and try to prevent the promise of God from taking place. All right. So now let's continue. So now we got angels who have married human females, okay? And note, and again, this couldn't be Seth because you're saying that you got righteous men marrying unrighteous women because you also have what? Righteous women who marry unrighteous men. So that's just a wrong parallel. That's just the last point I wanted to say on that to just prove that this was not the descendants of godly Sethites marrying the ungodly Canaanites. All right, but let's move to verse number three. Now, here is the response of God as the angels have married, the bad angels have married these human females. Notice, then the Lord said, response, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Now, what we have here is this, it's simply a manifestation of God's mercy, a manifestation of God's mercy. So I tell you what, let me just tell you about what's going on in totality as a whole. Remember the whole issue is, is about Noah. Remember we talked about Noah. That's where we stopped at the end of chapter five. So we're talking about, these are the events that was taking place during the time of Noah. What was going on during the time of Noah? You got these angels, bad angels, marrying 
Uh, and this is the whole idea is multiplicity. That's what's going on. This is not having a little bit. It's a lot. It's becoming pervasive. It's becoming what, guys? Pervasive. It's, it's going on and it's crazy. And, and, and it's causing problems as this is beginning to spread during the time of Noah. God looks down at this particular situation. He is angered and disturbed as he sees what's going on in the earth. So God pronounces a judgment and that judgment is to destroy all of this stuff. The men that's multiplying and this breed of angels and men. And we'll talk more about that. That's actually multiplying on the face of the earth at this time. And God says, I'm going to destroy this stuff. All right. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give them 120 years. So what we understand by this is it was two things predominantly were taking place with respect to Noah. During this 120 years, and that's when the Bible through Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So what was Noah doing during this time? He was preaching. He was proclaiming the gospel, whatever that. And when I say the gospel, guys, I'm not talking about of Jesus, the Messiah, if whatever if you got to only preach or proclaim the promises that God had given. Or, and I think the idea refers not so much as he's referring to that seed of the woman. No doubt that was a part of it. But the idea he condemned their unrighteous behavior. He condemned their unrighteous behavior because that's when the Bible talks about later on in this particular chapter, the wickedness, the wickedness. So Noah was that preacher. And also it was during this 120 years manifestation of God's patience that Noah was building the ark. This was the time seemingly that it took to build that great ark. All right. But it is a manifestation of God's patience. All right. And Peter also speaks of that as well. So let me, let's go back. Verse number four. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Now, in the King James Version, here's what you got to say. King James Version says the giants. And I just don't want to hit that very quickly. Here it says Nephilim. The actual term that is used is Nephilim, which means it's a, it's a nothing more than a participle in Hebrew. It means the fallen ones, the fallen ones. Now, the reason that the King James chose the term giants, it told it, it because it got it from the word gigantes, gigantes and gigantes and gigantes is the word that is used in the Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint is nothing more, guys, than a Greek translation of the Old Testament. OK, it is a very old text, but it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. What it is, is when these Jewish men were trying to find something that would relate to the idea of fallen ones, that concept that's being indicated here in Genesis six, they wanted to find in the Greek idea, the Greek mindset. It was about the Titans. 
and the and the Titans, the idea of the Titans. Remember who the Titans were and the whole mythology of the Titans. The myth, the mythology of the Titans were the children between gods and men. The children between gods and men that that resulting the gigantes, the Titans. And so simply what the new King James Version, it used that idea and gigantes, that concept. And so what the King James Version did was it took that gigantes idea and translated that. And that's when you see giants. Okay. And, but now the reason why I'm spending time on that is, is because it is, it gives the wrong idea because when we think of giants, we think of huge people and big people. But the point is that's not necessarily the case. That's not necessarily the case. In other words, as we're here in Genesis six, the uh, children between the angels and human women were not necessarily big people, but what they were, were extraordinary people. So that's why the, I dealt with the issue of giants, not idea of big, but the idea of exceptional and extraordinary. Okay. So now let's go back here. So the giants, so the result of that coming of angel and women, human women were Nephilim, fallen ones. These, these are um, basic fallen ones, children that were not angels and not completely human. They were a crossbreed and they became, uh, these were the people from which this Greek mythology came from. All right. So what I'm trying to say is this, the Greek mythology that we know of about sons of, of Zeus and all of these other gods or whatever, right? These, this is where it actually came from. So that Greek mythology is an actual corruption. It's a corrupt uh, idea or transmission of what actually took place. What actually happened was in Genesis six. It weren't Greek gods. It were angels. And what result was these so-called Hercules and, 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 and all of these children of the gods. This was what, what these Nephilim fallen ones. So the, they were not necessarily big, but what they were, were they were exceedingly intelligent. They had a knowledge far superior to man, a knowledge that seemingly superseded the stuff of common men, even of the earth. They had a knowledge even of secret things, things that were unknown to and unknown by men. Okay. So they grew and they multiplied. And this is what it refers to as they were the mighty men, men, men of old. This is what we talked about. Men once talked about these, uh, just, let me just simply say it this way, God, the Hercules of that day. Okay. Not so much as being a huge, but the powerful, Unique men, men from long time ago, men of great name. All right. So now we see this is what is taking place in the earth is now multiplying all over the place. Right. And once again, we see the response of God to these things. Five. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent and and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So what was the end result? 
with this human. So that's what he said. Notice the Bible is not saying that directly in statement. Angels married these women, produced these super beings, and these super beings influenced it. It's not saying it directly in statement. But notice what that scriptures is doing. It's tying. It's saying the angels did these things with the women and produced this particular race. And then we see evil and men. So even though it's not saying it directly, it is saying it by way of uh, assumption. You, you can clearly and rightfully assume that this is what's going on with these angels and this domination of the human race. That's what's going on here. A domination of the human race and teaching them, influencing them to do evil. And what do bad angels do? What did Satan do in the beginning? He and the angels along with him who rebelled, rebelled against God. Quite naturally, what do you think these bad angels will do as they're multiplying, as they're dominating and influencing mankind? Of course, they are influencing man to rebel against God. So what naturally happens? Wickedness <clears throat> increases in the earth. Wickedness increases among mankind. How much until all people, you know what everybody's doing? wickedness upon top of wickedness. And now God is looking at this quite naturally. <clears throat> God is not pleased. And of course, what he determines to destroy this thing. But let's just keep going. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. But now they've got to deal with that. It doesn't mean that the and so we look at the King James, the Lord repenteth. You can't look at it in the human sense that the Lord has to repent from his sins. That's not what the text means, nor can we understand it from the human context that the Lord changed his mind. That's not what it means. God didn't have to. God never. That's taught in first Samuel. The Lord is not a man that he has a need to repent nor change his mind. That's not the nature and character of God. What it means by the Lord is sorrow simply is this. It, the activities, what mankind is doing, it is simply showing the emotions of God. And to be honest with you guys, I like that particular verse because it lets us see that our God <clears throat> is not just some stuffy God of judgment. And the only thing that you see from God for the most part is anger and judgment. No, no, no. You see pain in God's heart. So it shows a dim. So it, it wouldn't hurt God if God didn't love mankind. So we see the love of God being expressed through the fact that God can be hurt. So God is hurting because of man's rebellion and rejection of him wholesale. Okay. So God is sorry. It hurts God to the depths of his heart that mankind has done these things. So what does the Lord do? Continue with the response. The Lord said, my judgment, I will blot out men whom I have created from the face of the land. Notice the face of the land. That's why the fish and the stuff in the sea was not destroyed. The determination was to blot out the things on the land. I will blot out men whom I've created from the face of the land from man 
to animals, also inclusive of that, to creeping things and birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Again, the sorrow means not it. it reflection of the hurt in God's heart. That's all. So it's simply saying the judgment of God would simply be the destruction of man, animals, birds, insects, all the stuff that particularly dwells has a habitation with respect to the land itself. And we know that this would be by way of what? The waters of the flood. Because notice how we bring all of this with respect to and this whole issue concerning Noah. Now, in this judgment, in this statement that we made here, we have what God saying, mankind as a whole is in rebellion in it, as a whole. All right. And therefore, God determines to destroy mankind as a whole. So you're left with the idea of thinking all of humanity is about to be destroyed. That would be the end of it. But ah, that's not the very end. But we got to get to verse number eight. And verse number eight ends the toldoth. But let me just hit it and I'll come back. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Remember what Lamech, father of Noah, said. He thought he was the Messiah. He was wrong. But even though he was not the Messiah, Lamech had the right idea. Noah was a special son and Noah found favor in the eye. So uh, and although all creation had basically corrupted itself, Noah became that exception. And another thing, let me reiterate the point. Lamech was the father of Noah. All right. Lamech, what did the scriptures say? Had other sons and daughters. That means Noah, Noah had other brothers and sisters. Just like you and I, Noah had brothers and sisters. Now, remember when I said all these things earlier, Noah during those 120 years was a preacher of righteousness. He preached about the wickedness of mankind. Point that I'm trying to make is this, and I may be a little ahead of myself. Yes, I am, but I want to just emphasize it again. Lamech's other sons and daughters, Noah's brothers and sisters, Noah himself was a preacher of righteousness. All humanity had corrupted themselves. Noah built the ark. The ark only had Noah, his three sons, and all of their wives. Here's my question. Where was Noah's own brothers and sisters? They didn't listen to Noah. They were corrupt with the rest of humanity. Why am I stressing that point? It just simply goes to say, it doesn't matter if you're the preacher or if it's the preacher's family, if the preacher's mama or daddy, his sisters or his brothers, it doesn't matter. You have to hear God and respond to God for yourself. Sometimes even your own family will not listen to you. Why? My point, Noah's own brothers and sisters did not listen to his message and therefore they were outside the ark and they were destroyed in the waters of a flood. But anyway, let's finish it. So verse number eight, Noah found eyes, favor in the eyes of the Lord. So therefore Noah found him favor, grace. So Noah was a believer. And verse number eight ends this particular told off that actually began in uh, what was it? chapter five. These are the generations of Adam. So this simply says 
this is what became of Adam. In other words, what became of man? Rebellion, judgment, and death. All right, guys, thanks for joining me on that one. We'll continue on as we find out what happens with Noah. So have you subscribed? Why not? Subscribe now.